0: What's good, Revolutionaries? Revolutionaries was good. Today's episode is brought to you by the Rogue Media Group, which is a veteran-led integrative marketing agency with affiliated networks that reach nearly 1 million multicultural professionals, business owners, and public policymakers. RMG, as is affectionately known, was founded in 2013 by my dude, Maximilian Hamilton. And has grown from a single offering to a multifaceted media company that offers everything from media planning and buying to written content development, sponsorship consulting and conference development, as well as digital marketing, custom video, DEI strategy, personal branding and speaker sourcing. RMG's signature program, one that I was able to MC last year, is the fifth annual Fuel, the Ultimate Men's Summit. It will take place this year in November the 9th through the 12th, 2023, In Houston, Texas. The annual summit is a gathering of 500 plus CEOs, professionals, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders. Participants will explore and discuss advancing the mobility of black professionals, entrepreneurs, and business leaders. The summit will include a golf outing, panel discussions, keynotes, breakout sessions, and awards recognition. And guess this. A celebration of hip-hop's 50th anniversary. To learn more about RMG and Fuel, the Ultimate Men's Summit, visit www.roguemg.com. And now, let's get ready for the show. What's good, Revolutionaries? Award-winning, acclaimed documentary, Byron Hurt. What's the
1: next iteration of your revolution? My goal was never to change the hip hop industry per se. My my goal was to change the lens and the ear of the viewer, the consumer. At the end of the day, I'm a creative person. I'm a creative and I wanna be more prolific as a storyteller and put really powerful films out into the universe. Can I have your attention for a moment? What's good, Revolution? What's good, revolution? Welcome
0: to the watch Your Revolution show. The show for men and the people who love them. Where we discuss how men can find and embrace the revolution within themselves. Where people can find and embrace the revolution within themselves. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corpru. What's good, revolutionaries? What's good, I hope all is well. And you are making your way and doing your thing. And as we say here all the time, that you are sitting and being loved in your community. That's what it, that's what it's about. right? Finding and spending time as my good brother Travis Bat says, Dr. Travis Batt says, you know, you're finding time with your midwives and you are fulfilling your revolution. And we're excited to be able to help you. In the coming months, you'll be able to learn how to really answer that question and then really get supported in in fulfilling that revolution. So we're excited about creating this new course around answering the question of what's a revolution and then helping you fulfill that revolution. So stay tuned, stay tuned, stay tuned because we're excited to make sure that we can reach our goal of 1 million people who have the ability to answer the question that we think is the most thought-provoking question of your life. I'm always excited about bringing like superstar guests on my show. I say that and revolutionaries, you're going to say all the time, you always bring in these, these damn men of Omega. Well, you know what? Guess what? These men of Omega are some of the most prolific people in various sectors across the world. All right. Not just the States across the world. And we, and I like to say this, you know, as, as our frat brother Jarvis DeBerry says, this is an ordinary show because I've got a superstar a rock star Omega on the, on the show, who's been doing big things for years in the, document, in the documentary film sector of the world. So I want to welcome to the show my good friend, award-winning, award-winning, acclaimed document, documentary filmmaker, I don't know why I can't talk today, Byron Hurt.
1: Dear brother, how are you? I'm doing great, Brother Corporal. How you doing?
0: I'm doing good, man. I'm doing
1: good. It's good to see you. It's, it's, been a, it's been a while. It's good to see you, man.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little back little backstory for you, Revolutionaries. I met Byron when I was a professor at Loyola University, and I was uh, uh, an advisor to one of the groups. And we decided to uh, bring Brother Hurt in because <laughs> at that point in time, and you all know, Revolutionaries, that my research and me being a professor, I studied masculinity. I studied hyper-masculinity. And the group that I was working with uh, was actually trying to make sure that we were dispelling the myths of hypermasculinity, that we were having these conscious conversations around what healthy masculinity looks like. And it was really from those conversations with those students revolutionary that I began to think about this revolution and this show as a means of having conversations about what healthy masculinity looks like on a daily minute by minute, second by second Basis, and we brought Brother Heard in to really talk about his, like his seminal work at the time, hip hop beyond beats and rhymes, and we had a wonderful session with the community there at Loyola, bringing him in to talk about the importance of the work, and we're going to talk about that today, importance of that seminal work and, and what it meant to have that document out at that period of time, because what it looked like, what hip hop looked like then, and we'll talk about that later on and potentially what it looks like now and how that work actually had an impact on uh, masculinity, hyper-masculinity, healthy masculinity and what the hip hop genre is today. So dear brother, thank you. I just wanted to give that little, little backstory. What's been going on with you? You know, we like to do a little deep dive into our folks. What's been going on, you know, it's it's been seven or eight years since we've seen each other. Yeah. Tell us a little bit
1: about what's been going on with you. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for having me on your show and including me as one of your guests. I listened to one of your previous shows, and it was just so powerful. Uh, the the discussion um, that you that you're having around people and and what their revolutionaries are, what their revolutionary is, I should say, and um, really the authenticity that you're bringing to the table, you know, by having honest, forthright conversations, is really important for us to have, especially as men and especially as black men. And I, I will always remember you as somebody who treated me very warm, warmly <clears throat> and who uh, treated me with a lot of hospitality when I came to visit. Um, so it was, it was really good to hear from you, um, and, and receive the invite to be on your show. But in terms of what's been going on with me, brother, I have been very busy. <laughs> I have been very busy. Yeah. I've been very busy and I've been, um, Making the rounds with a new film that I directed that took me 10 years to make. Mm. I say me, but it was really me and my team. Um took quite a while for this film to, to, to get completed. Um, and it aired on PBS in September of 2022. Um, it actually premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival mm. in June of 2022. Um, and I've been showing the film uh, around the country at film festivals and community screenings, and at colleges ever ever since. And I have a screening upcoming in Los Angeles at uh, Cal State L A on Monday. So that's my next screening. But I've been I've been very busy.
0: Right, right. You know, let's let's jump in. I mean, let's let, let, let's make sure folks know what it is, right? You actually, and I'm gonna get to our signature question, revolutionaries, in a few moments, but. You took on a topic, right, for you revolutionaries. I want you to understand this movie is called Hazing, yes. right? Simply, capital letters, H-A-Z-I-N-G, Hazing. And just as I said at the outset of this show, Brother Hurt and I are members of the greatest fraternity in the in the world. We're men, uh, mem- men and members of Omega Psi Phi fraternity. And, you know, I talk at length about, you know, my love for our fraternity and and many of the brothers, the Grand Bachelors, uh, both the current and past, but Grand Bachelors have been on the show. And so it means something that is dear to both of us. But you took on a topic that is, you know, tough in nature. And I want to just dive, do a little deeper dive with that. And, you know, the, the simple question is, why? Why take on this topic, you know, as someone who, Pledged Omega Sci-Fi fraternity. Why this? Why now?
1: Well, with all of my films, I have to feel a real passion for the topic, for the subject matter, in order for me to take it on. And quite honestly, I was moved to, to make this film after first reading about the tragic death of a young man who um, was a fraternity member at Cornell University Named George De Dune and his mom. You know, his mom uh, raised George by herself after George's father died. Um, And I read this story that was in the New York Times and it just really touched me. You know, I was on an airplane uh, heading somewhere. I was probably heading to a screening or a speaking date somewhere in the country and I, I had a New York Times, this, this will tell you how long ago this was, I had a hard copy of the New York Times in my hand <laughs> on an airplane, which is, is, that sounds so ancient now. I know, right. I know, right. Um, and I read this story and bro, I was, I was moved to tears. You know, it just touched me so much. And because of, I, I could see <clears throat> the themes of hyper-masculinity Throughout the story, it was it was one of the things that was left unsaid in the article. But for me, because of my lens and because of my experiences dealing with the topic of masculinity for for so many years, um, I could see it really clearly. Yeah. And I felt like at that time that I had the ability, um, the experience, the knowledge base, both as a as a leader in the field on. Uh, the topic of masculinity and gender violence prevention, but then also as a member of Omega Psi 5 Fraternity, Incorporated, with the experiences that I had going through my own pledge process, I mm-hmm. felt like I could bring some insight to this topic that was very unique, um, but also illuminating, you know, uh, revealing, you know, um, and also transformative for whoever watched the film. Um, however, to be quite honest with you just that article alone was not enough for me to um, take action and to begin the process of making the film. What what really propelled me to actually speak out loud the fact that I wanted to make this my next film was the death of Robert Champion, mm. who was a band member who um, was beaten to death by his bandmates at Florida a and University. They were actually... Um, well, I think that yeah, they were actually in Florida at that time, um, but he was from Georgia and uh, his bandmates beat beat him to death on a bus. And I saw that story in the news and this was several months, I believe, after George Day Dune died. And that was the one that that put it over the top of me. Right. Right. Brother, I, w- I just want to define
0: some of our terms. So, you know, my revolutionaries, is because we have a we have a cadre of people as a diverse people that listen to the show. Mm-hmm. You know, I- I'm going to let you. Uh, can you define hazing? Like, can you put a critical definition to it as we look at it? Th- look, we more into this.
1: Yeah, well, there, there are many variations of the definition of hazing, um, but very simply, it's, it's any um, activity that. You know, degrades, humiliates, embarrasses, causes any physical harm or puts a person at physical risk um, in order to become a member of an organization or a group, regardless of their willingness to participate. Right. That's a loose definition.
0: Right, right. No, Um, I I definitely appreciate that.
1: Yeah. So I think the key phrase there is regardless of one's participation or willingness to participate. I think that's really critical. And the reason why I say that is because what I learned over the process of making this film is that a lot of people dismiss or um, minimize the effect of hazing because people say, well, this person made the choice. This person wanted to join this group or fraternity or this team. And so, if something happened, if things went wrong, then, Hey, they got what they deserved. Right. Mm. So, um, I think that's a really important piece of the definition.
0: Right. Right.
1: bro. as I, as I began thinking
0: about, you know, how do we have this conversation is uh, again, as two members of our beloved fraternity and, and, and talking about this and, you know, something that is a, a part of our lives, like, and, and Omega is a part of my life every day, as I'm sure it is your. It is a part of my life. My experience. My line brother is in town, and, and the joy of seeing him. But we are galvanized by our experiences together. Our line is galvanized by our experiences together. And yes, we are celebrating a, a, a milestone. I want to give a shout out to Dr. Nathan Woodard. Right, All right. There are three PhDs on our line now, and that, that's a, a significant, a significant. You know, milestone to be able to say that. So all of us are, are coming together to celebrate that. Yeah. But we're also galvanized by our experiences, right? Our, our the full breath, and we were brought together by a significant experience. And yeah. you know, thinking about that, the, the the first thing that I as I thought about this is that. In my head, is like, well, br- Brother Byron, you're spilling the tea, right? You're, you're, sp- you know, that question is like, you're spilling the tea, right? And, and, you know, sometimes we get around the cookout, you're like, you're not supposed to spill the tea. But I, w- I want to say this before I ask the question is like, hazing is not only a part of black fraternities and sororities. Hazing can be found in any organization, whether it be sports or military or regardless. If there's a group of people and there's an introduction or uh, induction, as I want to say, hazing may be a part of that, right? Whether it's white, black, uh, Hispanic, it's a, it, it can be a part of the ritualistic nat- nature of becoming a part of an organization. So I, I definitely want to say that. But back to that question is, what compelled what compelled Byron Hurt other than those teams? Was there anything else compelling you that I really needed to now, as we say, I needed to bring this to the forefront because you've talked about it. It, it, it can be violent. It can be violent. Death, right? A timely demise of someone who had a spark, a light in their eyes that had hopes and dreams, and now they're resting in a morgue or resting in a gra- and resting in the ground because they as you know, well, he chose or she chose, but there are other choices being made. Why illuminate this? Were those two stories just it, or is there something else that comes from this?
1: Yeah. It's important for people to know that my film Hazing does not focus on Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated solely and it does not solely or exclusively focus on um any of the Divine 9 organizations. This this is not about the Divine 9. Mm-hmm. This 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 issue is about hazing in American culture more broadly. Mm-hmm. And that is one thing that I felt compelled to make sure um, came out mm-hmm. as people watch this film. Um, I felt like it would be extremely irresponsible for me to make a film by hazing that only focused on um, Black Greek letter organizations. I think that's what many people expected this film to be about because I'm a member of a Black Greek organization, um, a Black Greek letter organization, I should say. And Because I'm a black director, Mm. but it was always my intention to make a film that, um, that transcended race and, and, and gender, um, and on some level class as well. Um, and you know, we, we talk about the deaths that occur from time to time. Actually, it's not from time to time. It's actually every year. Yeah. It happens every year. You know, someone, someone dies from hazing. But there are many more people, black, white, Asian, Latinx, um, women, who are deeply impacted by the trauma associated with hazing. The emotional trauma, psychological trauma, uh, the physical trauma, if they survive the physical abuse or beatings. And so I just wanted to tap into that. I just wanted to uncover it. I wanted to talk about it. I wanted to unpack it. I wanted to make a film that was going to force people to address it, you know, to think deeply about our experiences, whether it's something that happened 30, 40, 50 years ago, um, or whether it's something that's happening right now. You know, people have been um, since I made the film, people have been sharing articles with me mm-hmm. that they see that they come across that are that that um, that are related to hazing. Um, Just the other day, there was a story that broke. I believe it was in the Boston Globe um, of a potential hazing um, issue at Harvard University on the women's hockey team. Wow. Right. Um, Bowling Green University has has a hazing case in which uh, the parents sued um, the university and the fraternity for one point six million dollars. Um, I think it was actually more than that. But um, the point that I'm making is that this is far from um, exclusive to black Greek letter organizations. And I just wanted to uncover it. I just wanted to take a look at the issue and see if the film can make an impact on saving lives, um, but then also changing hazing culture, which is very, very, very um, difficult to change. Yeah. Yeah. But
0: I appreciate that because I'm, I'm sure my revolution is like, Charles, you've, you've got somebody on the show now who is who's talking about hazing. This seems to be off the themes of being revolutionary or me finding my way of transforming my life. Revolutionaries, I, I, I want to put it in context as, as you're thinking about who you are and your revolution. We say this all the time that your revolution is not just for you. Think about that fourth tenet of fulfilling your revolution. That is not just for you. And we think about what Brother Hurt just said is that being compelled to make this film on hazing illuminates an issue that is happening across our country. And that if we don't have voices, if we don't have voices, revolutionaries, that people that will stand in front of us in times, then who are we as a as a population of people? And that's what I think about this, right? As you're asking and answering this question, what's your revolution? Knowing that you should be doing something that is not just for you. And I'm sure that there's the internal work there, uh, all the different things that Brother Byron Hurt had to go through to say, finally, I'm going to make a film about something that has been a part of American you know, world history, hazing and induction has been a part of, is a historical context for as long as people know. But now because of the lethal the, the I'm gonna say lethality if that's the correct word, that we need to illuminate that. Think about what you're doing in the world, revolutionaries. Who are you standing in front of, right, to make sure that they have an armor. And that's what men of Omega do. We stand, we stand out in front. And sometimes even in controversy, we stand out in front so we can shield other folks. And I want you to think about that. So Brother Heard, I want to say thank you for having the courage to. Right. Because if you go back, I, I, I'm just going to make this one say, if you go back to 2006 and hip hop beyond beats and rhymes, you also took on something tough and hot. Right. That folks were like, yo, I might come for his neck because he's telling he's telling a story. Yeah. Right. He's telling it. He's telling the T. But yeah. if you don't have courage. You can't change people's lives. You can't even change your own life. So Oops. that's what I want you to take away. One, why we're telling the story of this acclaimed documentary filmmaker is that you have to stand in front and have the courage sometimes to take all of the arrows so those people come behind you can actually move forward. So, dear brother, I thank you for that. Let's dive a little deeper into the film. And I want people to go. Do me a favor, and tell you said there's a screening coming up and I know there's a, a couple virtual screenings that are coming up. Tell people where they can see it if they want to do
1: a deeper dive with family members and friends. Yeah. So if, if anyone listening is or watching is in the Los Angeles area, I will be in California, L.A. on Monday, um, March 20th. And I'll be screening the film at the Media Done Responsibly Film Festival, which is going to be taking place at Cal State L.A., Um, so that's where I will be, um, showing the film on Monday. That's an in-person screening. Um, but the film is actually screening virtually, um, on pbs.org slash hazing film. If you just type in PBS and hazing, uh, you know, the link will come up and uh, you'll be able to watch the film there. Gotcha. Thank you. You, you all know. did. I want you to make sure you heard PBS, right? National <laughs> yes. Public
0: Broadcast. Yes. Right. This is how big this brother is. <laughs> you <laughs> please, <laughs> please understand that. And I love the humility and humbleness of this his brother. Every, the first time I met, you know, I, I'm thinking, and I, I'm just going to tell a little story. You know, I'm thinking I've, I've done all the research on on Byron Hurt. You know, he's a bruh. I'm thinking older bruh. I'm showing deference. You know, this mm-hmm. is my big brother coming in and everything. And I'm thinking one thing, and you know, you know, I'm thinking the bruh's and a little hyper masculinity. But you're one of the most humble people that I know. You know. <laughs> You know, you. out here in the world, doing very, very big revolutionary things, but one of the most humble people that I know, and it comes through in your affection. You know, is wonderful because you're you're doing amazing things, and I, I definitely appreciate that. Let's dive down again because I, I want to know, right? and I want my revolutionaries to know what did you learn from making this film by hearing the stories of people who have been affected, right, by hazing? And I say this because I'm gonna I, I say this before you answer your question is that I often think as a psychologist that hurt people are hurting people and we are couching it under the guise of this is an induction no an induction into an organization or a beloved organization that i had to go through this and so to be on my level you need to go through this too Yeah. yeah so what did you learn from those families and people who have experienced
1: hazing yeah it's so funny that you you that you mentioned that brother because i was just um you know exercising around the corner from my house at the track. And I was thinking about, um, you know, this whole topic of trauma, right? And I was thinking about what I experienced and what so many other people experience, you know, regardless of where they experience, you know, if they've been hazed and there was some physical abuse there or emotional abuse or psychological abuse or what have you, it probably stems from some unhealed trauma that they experienced at some point earlier in their life. You know, you can't really cause harm to someone um, without um, having experienced some kind of trauma that you are reproducing in some way or that you are projecting outward. Um, And so that's one thing that I learned. You know, I learned that, you know, a lot of what takes place um, when it comes to hazing is, you know, people who have been desensitized to Mm -hmm. violence or emotional trauma or physical trauma or some sort of psychological trauma. Um, And so the people that they're inflicting the harm to have been dehumanized, right? Mm. We dehumanize people to justify abusing them on some level, or we justify by saying this happened to me. Mm. And so you you have to go through what I experienced or we justify by saying, this is a part of the tradition. This is what's going to make you good, you know. This is what's going to earn you respect and credibility among, um, you know, the fraternity or the sorority or the athletic team, you know, or your academic club, wherever wherever it is. Um, so that's one thing I learned, brother. And I also learned that um, you know the parents who live with the the impact, the toll um, that is. Um, that is raised by hazing, they live with that forever. Yeah. You know, we, we we look at a hazing headline or we see a hazing story in the news, but we never really think about the ways in which the parents of these young people and their lives are forever changed. Yeah. So I've been able to establish some really great relationships with Many of the participants in in, in the film, um, who I've gotten to know, and I see the hole that exists mm. in their in their soul forever because of what they experienced. Something that that could have been prevented. Someone, something that someone could have stood up and stopped if they had the courage to do it. If they. Um, If they were more aware about the deadly consequences, you know, or even the psychological consequences, consequences of hazing. So that's another thing that I learned. And then the the last thing that I learned is that hazing is just so widespread. There's hazing in almost every arena that you could possibly think of where there are newcomers coming into a group. So yeah it's it's deep, brother. I learned a lot, yeah you know we we could sit here for a whole half an hour <laughs> talking about some of the lessons that I learned in to stop right no, I appreciate this um and
0: I say that the, the the appreciation is that we don't, and I'll say I don't because i don't I don't like to not personally i can't I don't want to speak for anybody else and i I think about mm-hmm. this is that in the mix, I'm not thinking or or wasn't thinking. Right. And in, in the mix, I'm not thinking about the, the potential trauma experience or, or or experience or that the potential trauma that I, I may be inflicting. Yeah. Um, and so older, wiser, you know, thought thought provoking questions that I'm asking myself now is that why? Because but that that thought process about what what might this do to someone else's long term mental health? Yeah, I don't know if it's thought about on a very very conscious level. I don't I don't th- I don't think that it's thought about. I think in the, you know because it's going to get to my next question is that we talk about legitimization. mm Hmm. That that process that it legitimizes, r- regardless of the organization, regardless of the sector, there's a yeah. legitimization of the process if you are if you go through and make it through, right? The the hazing process to become a part of whatever mm-hmm. organization, and you know that's that's the quote that kind of stays with me, you know, uh, from the 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 outset of the documentary is that hazing legitimizes the process. Not only during, but afterwards. But here's what it made me think. It made me think. We go through so many racial and cultural barriers. Why do you think that this divide, you know, being hazed or not being hazed, continues to exist. And I'm going to, I'm going to actually contextualize this continues to exist in these communities where hazing is maybe prominent.
1: Well, I interviewed a brother named judge Adrian, Adrian. I'm not sure if you know, brother judge Adrian and, um, you know, in his interview, unfortunately it didn't make it into the final version of the film, but in his interview, he talked about how, you know, most people, don't want to be hazed necessarily. They want the respect that comes along with going through a process in which there was some sort of physical um, or emotional test that is associated with hazing, typically associated with hazing. And I thought that that was really powerful because at the end of the day, especially when we're talking about men is that we, we are always looking for validation, credibility, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to be sort of given that, that stamp of approval Mm By other men that you're good, right? That you are worthy. And there's something about um, this age-old process that many people before us have gone through in, ver- in, in various iterations or various forms um, that, that makes young people say, I want to go through that because I want to earn my way into this space. I want to test my mettle. I'll speak for myself. When I was a young man, you know in my but early late teens early twenties, I wanted to prove to myself that I had what it took right yeah. you know to be a man to to go through um, the process and become a member of the same organization that my uncle who was a scientist yeah, exactly. a doctor mm-hmm. uh, went through right I wanted to see if I had what he had right um I, I later learned that my uncle was anti-hazing. <laughs> he was very much against hazing uh, from what he told me once Once I, I, I was initiated into the organization. But, I mean, I, I say all that to, to answer your question and say that, I think a lot of it is about validation, right? It's about earning one's place within the group or the organization because we want to be validated by that process. Mm -hmm. And we know that the only way to get that validation is to go through it, is to endure it. Um, Now, again, I want to I shouldn't say again because I haven't said this yet, but I do want to I want to make it clear that our players in 1990, which is a long time ago. Yeah. Right. 94. The process has changed. Right. You know, our fraternity in particular um, has outlawed hazing. You know, we are we the the, the, the organization is decidedly anti hazing and there's serious penalties and consequences for those who participate, whether you are uh, the perpetrator or the victim. And I just want to make that very clear. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Does
1: that. Not, that does not that does not mean that it, it doesn't still happen. Right. Um, And it it doesn't mean that we're the only organization where it happens. It happens. It happens throughout, you know, fraternity and sorority life, you know, when it comes to Greek life. Um, And so I feel a certain responsibility to help in the process of changing the culture Mm. and, you know, changing the culture of hazing is very difficult. It's not easy. If it was easy, it would have been done already. Mm. Right. Right. It is it is a very, um, you know, it is it is hard to change or shift. Let me say that one more time. The culture of hazing is very difficult to change or or shift. One, because so many people still buy into, you know, this this idea of pledging, you know, which in many ways is just a euphemism for hazing, Mm. Right. And so. Because we hold on to it, we hold on to the tradition and because we believe that going through that process brings value to incoming members, we refuse to change it. Right. What I would like to focus in on is what I learned once my film was released. Once my film was released, there were so many brothers who stood in solidarity with me, Mm -hmm. who stood in support of me and this film. Many people did it privately, bro. Many people reached out to me via email or text or DMs on social media right? or picked up the phone and called me. Right? And shared with me their experiences. They shared with me how they had been traumatized by the process that they went through um, with hazing. Right. Right. And it, and it wasn't just brothers in our fraternity, they were Across brothers the in A5A, they were brothers in Kappa Alpha Psi. You know, I ran into a brother at um, uh, a train station in DC you know, who, who walked up to me and approached me. He was, he was a member of Kappa Alpha Psi and he told me he watched the film. He thanked me for watching the film. And he told me that he was so concerned about his son um, who was about to go off to college and he knew that his son wanted to pledge Kappa. He was very concerned about his son's safety. Right. Right. Um, I've had, you know, members of AKA Delta Sigma Theta. Um, I've had white uh, fraternity members and sorority members reach out to me and share their stories with me. About the trauma that they experienced. One of my former teachers reached out to me um, and told me that he was hazed when he played the fraternity in the 1960s. And he said that he cried. He 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 um, um, you know, he 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 sobbed as he watched the film on PBS because it brought back so much so many memories and so much pain. So, you know, I think that the film has the ability to do healing work.
0: Mm, okay. Right? right. To get people right. to,
1: to come to terms with what they experience and to confront it and to grapple with what happened to them. Right. You know, I had, I had one brother who reached out to me and told me that he watched the film two times. His wife watched the film three times. And one day he got a phone call from one of his, um, you know, pro fights, who apologized to him for putting him through so much after watching the film. And he said that he cried like a baby because he needed to hear that. Mm, He needed to, he needed that release. Wow. 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 It was really powerful. He called me on the phone and and we had this conversation. And so I, I believe that the film is extremely powerful. I think the film, if once people watch it, and they give the film an opportunity and, and they don't feel defensive around the topic, right? Being addressed so publicly, I think people will be touched by it and moved by it. And it could be transformative to viewers. Right. But I appreciate that um, the vulnerability of that
0: and that, that goes into one making the film and then talking about the experiences that people who have watched the film. Because. I, I'm thinking in my mind, right? I'm thinking in my mind. The naysayers is like, well, you know, these people that are crying, the people that are traumatized, right? Because we, we've gotten into this, like, uh, almost this black and white of hyper-masculinity and healthy masculinity. And there's, there's nothing in between, right? And, and the people are like, well, this is my masculinity. And if you couldn't go through that process, right? Or if you were traumatized by that process, you're weak, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're weak. And so you're not a part of it. You, you can't be with me. Because if if you felt traumatized, you felt any certain kind of way about this, then
1: that's your problem. It's not my problem. What do you say to those folks? I think it's time to redefine masculinity and what is strong and what is weak. Right. Um, I think that those are old definitions around, you know, manhood or what it means to be strong. You know, you don't just because you go through an experience where there's where you survive abuse doesn't mean that you're strong. Mm. It doesn't even mean that you're a, a, a contributing member to that organization. Once you go through all of that, I know people who have gone through a process where there was no hazing and outstanding members of our organization. Mm. Say it again. I know some people who have gone through, you know, a, a really brutal process and who are not financial. Don't go to meetings. Don't do any community service. Um, I just think that we have to question and challenge the idea of, you know, what makes one weak and what makes one strong. Um, Because I think that's part of the problem. Because if your definition of being a strong person means your ability to withstand abuse, then I think that, you know, we need to examine that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm reading this book uh The Myth of Normal by uh Gabor Maté. Uh Maté. And just early in the book and it talks about like trauma is actually not the event. It is not the precursor. Trauma is the the recurring the the memory, the the physiological response, the the psychological response to the event. Yeah, I've and, heard that. Yeah, I've heard that. Yes. Yeah, and and to think about that, right? For some people, that event may not cause a ripple effect, Mm -hmm. but for others, it may be the culminating factor in a long line of events, a long line of events that then just there's this outpoint that this is traumatic. Yeah. And we don't know. We don't know because we have legitimized a process. And Lasana Harris was on the show uh, last year, who was a professor in, in, in London, who talks about dehumanization. Yeah. That we legitimize that we legitimize dehumanization every day. The best of us dehumanize someone every day. And, and think about that. The best of us. So, mm-hmm. you know, the rest of us, right, who are just working in the world, think about who and how we're dehumanizing folks without even conscious thought. So we don't know. And how people experience trauma To be a part of it because we are socializing. Now here, here, here comes Dr. Corporate for a second is that we are, we are the DNA inside of us wants us to be a part of community. Our ancestors found safety in community. And when you were ostracized or pushed out of the community, you were not safe. And so, uh, it, it, even now, this fear, this fear of missing out. I want to be a bruh. I want to be a kappa. I want to be in the military. I want to be on this sports team. I will do whatever to legitimize my process and to legitimize my space because I want to be good. And if I go into a process with already already traumatized, I'm doing myself a
1: disservice. Yeah. Well, you made you made some really good points, brother, and I agree with you. We everyone is different. You don't know what traumas that people are dealing with as they're entering a process. You don't know when you're triggering somebody and their trauma. You don't know, um, you know, an individual's propensity to handle um, what you're dishing out. You know, if if you're not dis, you know, if you're not discerning about, uh, you know, where someone is, you know, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. Um, and most young people are not. Most people are not discerning. You know, uh, most people don't know how to, how to identify these these particular um, traits or characteristics um, in, in a person. And remember, you know, a lot of the hazing that happens is among young people whose minds are not fully formed, they're not fully developed emotionally. Um, and So, yeah, they they, they they make mistakes and I, I include myself among them. But. You know, that doesn't mean that we can't teach and we can't educate and we can't make people aware of, you know, um, the right way to do things versus an inappropriate way of doing things. You know, so so what's appropriate and what's inappropriate in terms of um, initiating someone into your group or your team or your band or your sorority fraternity or whatever that group is, is there a healthier way to do that yeah. is there a better way to to challenge people without causing harm to them mm. is there a better way to make someone quote unquote good without killing them
0: mm.
1: right and is and can that and can that person still be a valuable contributing member to your organization right. who carries with them respect because they earned their way into the group or the organization in a way that is appropriate. Right. And I think those are the things that we still have to figure out. I think those are the things that young people are creative enough to figure out. I think we as older people have to give them the space to create new traditions that are not causing harm because a lot of times we don't respect them because they didn't go through whatever process we went through or something that looks like what we went through. And so it's, it's, it's no different than the old football player who looks down on this the new generation of football players because the quarterback can't get hit from the blind side or you can't hit the quarterback below the knee you know when you're sacking them because you know of player Ooh, safety you know, quarterback safety or you know you you can't hit someone above the shoulder with your helmet because it's it's called you know because you're 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 causing or you could create uh, some sort of head trauma right. We have to let go of the old ways and make way Mm. for the new ways that are going to be safer for individuals Mm. to thrive and to be contributing members to our organizations. And if that's not enough to convince you, we have to understand that this is a new day and that our organizations, most organizations cannot survive these massive lawsuits that are coming Mm. along with uh, some of these these unlawful deaths, you know, that are taking place. So I mentioned the lawsuit, um, you know, uh, recently with, um, um, Oh, this brother's name is F- uh, F- folks. Oh, excuse me, brother. No worries. No worries. No worries. As you know, as, as you. As you Stone Fultz, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. I you gonna edit this. So I, I mentioned earlier, let me say it one more time. So I mentioned earlier the lawsuit um, by Stone faults and his family um, that was settled for $2.9 million. That's a lot of money, a lot of money. Um, for any organization to, to bear. And so we have to look at what's in our best interest. And I know most organizations do that anyway. But aside from The fact that we live in a litigious society where, you know, our organizations could be sued out of existence. We also have to be mindful of the human side, you know, and and not dehumanize people when they die or they get hurt or get traumatized Uh, in some way. And we disassociate ourselves with the act that led to that. We have to take ownership Mm -hmm. over the culture that exists, that is creating an environment where young people are in harm's way. And we have to, you know, actively change the culture and we have to create space for new leaders who are courageous, who are vocal, who are intelligent, who are creative to lead the way forward in a way that's going to be less destructive.
0: Yeah, brother. You know, I, I want to thank the brothers of Omega Sci-Fi who think critically about this and our current grand boss list uh, brother Ricky Lewis is is a wonderful thought leader. Uh, in this space and really thinking about how to lead not only a Omega Sci-Fi fraternity but also be a beacon of light for other fraternities across other fraternities and organizations across the world. Um it is interesting because you know my 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 thoughts were around organizations have to revolt and evolve all right we think about the first ten of the revolution is, is thinking about how do you revolt from what you are and evolving into something that you need to be in a healthier more revolutionary version of yourself and organizations have to take that on as well and, and so and in and, and organizations are nothing without the individuals that are part of them and movements begin with courageous people like yourself dear brother that, that's what happens. Movements begin when and people say that I am going to do something that, that moves people to revolt from their behaviors. Because if you don't know, if nothing is brought up, dear brother, if nothing is illuminated, if nothing punches you in the gut, the status quo remains. And let me say that again. If nothing punches you in the gut, the status quo remains. And if you don't get punched in the gut like this, the, like this documentary does, you're not going to revolt. You're not going to revolve because mm. you said it in, in the most pure, the purest form. Organizations do not have the money to pay out for untimely deaths yeah. because people wanted to be legitimized by a process. That's the simple nature. I don't care what organization that you're in, but that's the simple aspect of it, dear brother. You know, and so finding ways to bring folks together through a process that allows them to come together to love the organization. And I know both of us love our organization without a doubt. Absolutely. This dog, this this dog tag is worn every day, right? (laughs) My father, my father, spring 49, they decide the house is littered, Mm. literally littered. I have to go through littered with, artifacts and shirts and outfits and everything of omega sci-fi we Mm -hmm. love the organization yeah love it and want to make sure that those who are coming behind us have the same love for the organization that we do and that goes for kappa off the side that goes for the army that goes for the sports scene that you can look back at your experience moving through with reverence and that you can also, here we go. You can also reach back. <laughs> you can also reach back and say, you know, I'm going to bring you along with me because yeah. I experienced this and it was a joyful, loving community field experience, dear brother. I want to move this conversation and thank you. And I want, I want folks to make sure that they're going out. All right. pbspbs.com backslash hazing. Make sure that you're checking out the film, this, this wonderful documentary. But back in 2006, his brother, again, took on a tough. Let me, let me, let me, go stop ahead. You. Let me I'm sorry. It's PBS.org. PBS.org. PBS. There you go. That's right. They are a PBS. nonprofit. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. right. Right. That's right. They want your donations too. PBS.org. Um, yeah. But you took on another topic, a, a tough topic, hip hop beats and rhymes. And I just want to ask you this one question. This one question. Has hip hop changed since 2006? And you
1: made that that documentary? If so, how? Well, that's a good question. And I'm not sure if I'm the most qualified to answer that question. Um, but I, I will say that I think in many ways, hip-hop did change. Um, and in some ways, it did not change. I mean, you know, hip-hop is still pretty much um, a corporate um, product, right? I mean, it's, it is it is, has been fully corporatized and it has been disseminated and distributed go- globally. And so the the bottom line is, is still, um, you know, paramount. Mm. So, um, I think some of the issues that I explore in, in hip hop beyond beats and rhymes still exists. I think the sexism still exists. I think the, um, objectification of, of, of girls and women in hip hop still happens. Um, I think that there's less homophobia in hip hop than there was. I mean, there's been more space created for those who are non-binary who are, who don't identify as heterosexual. I think that that has, um, there's been some shifts, uh, happening there. Um, I think the sound has changed quite (laughs) dramatically since the film, since, since back in the day. Right. Um, and I think thematically, I think some of the, some of the, uh, the focus of the music has changed. Um, but I, again, I say I'm not the best person to really speak on that because I don't I'm not as connected as I used to. My life has changed. Right. I have changed personally. Revolted. I in have. All. You know, right. You know, dramatically, you know, I, I listen to, um, you know, the artists that I like to listen to. Right. You know, and. Um, and and we as hip hop fans have more control of who we listen to and when. Yeah, that didn't really exist yes, as that's much. That's true. That's true. When Beyond Beats and Rhymes uh, first came out, so I, I live a little bit in a silo, you know, and in a bubble, you know, because I get to just kind of insulate myself with all of my favorite hip hop artists and all of my my music that I like to listen to, including some, you know, some some new um, music and new artists that are out there. But I think, um, I think for hip hop to truly change, I think the whole corporate structure has to change. It has to be more, um, it has to be more self-governing when it comes to, um, disseminating music that glorifies certain aspects of black life and black culture, um, that reproduce a lot of, uh, stereotypes about who we are. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, um, I feel
0: and 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 probably this is comical. I feel like my father when hip hop was coming out, right? My my father, you know, yeah, my yeah. father was, you know, my father was 1929. So hip hop is, it's it's uh, entree was in the 70s, and so he was probably in his 40s, uh, 40s and 50s, really. As hip hop, I feel now like my father then, like what is this mess? Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. what is this? I'm still listening to Run DMC and LL Cool J. Before you know, I'm still listening to Before I Let Go. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm listening to old school stuff that still I'm look Chuck D. The voice Chuck D's voice is still hit. You know, it still yeah. hits home. Most deaf yeah. uh, Rakim. You know, I'm still listening to that because that's what resonates with me. But I'm a 51 year old man. Yeah, revolutionaries. I said it out loud first time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know. But yeah. I, I I I keep wondering. I was like, I, I want to ask Byron this question because you know you made this film really th- that really touched. And I remember those young women from Spellman, you know, when yeah. I when I watched that and really talked about the experience of of, of men and the impact of hip hop on men and how men were treating them. It was really really un, you know hearing black women talk mm. about their experiences of masculinity, their experiences with masculinity, and attributing that to what was going on in hip hop and what brothers were seeing. Right. You know, and I think that with the onset of Instagram and Facebook, we are still seeing sexism and misogyny happen. Um, and, and how we're socialized and how, how we're socialized. We see images of women, curvy, curvaceous, beautiful, luxurious women all the time. And then, and, and then we, you know, we, we gawk, uh, we, we gawk and we, we sexualize. And that that's also a part of the culture. Um, And so it's really and then we, you know, we just we just have so much that we imbibe now that hip hop has a place in it. But there are other there are other entities that are influencing how we interact with each other, especially from a cisgender heterosexual
1: nature. Yeah. Well, you know what? You know, my goal was never to change the hip hop industry per se. My my goal was to change the lens and the ear of the viewer. The consumer. That was always my goal: was to raise awareness about these things. Um, We talked about desensitization earlier, right? And how people are dehumanized. People are dehumanized in music as well, and and we become desensitized to um, the put downs, you know, of of women of. Gay and queer people uh, of other black people, you know, through music um, in ways that we may not do it if it was coming from the dominant group, you know, that's being, you know, that's being that's talking about us in pejorative ways. Um, So, I mean, I've been heartened that over the years. Um, many people have you know, told me that the film changed their life or that the film changed the way that they listened to hip hop or made them question the misogyny in hip -hop or the homophobia in hip hop or whatever those things are. And I'm also, you know, heartened to to know that people are still showing the film. Yeah. Educators are still showing the yeah. film on college campuses and in high schools. I mean, the film is older now, but it's still, resonating with Mm. audiences and it's still triggering discussion and that's as a filmmaker that's really all that you can hope for is that something that you created transforms people you know or gets people to think or creates a conversation you know which pushes awareness that's that's really all I want to do as a documentary filmmaker
0: right right you know yes yes Yes, and I want revolutionaries, I want to make sure that you understand that Brother Byron Hurt is a, an award-winning documentary filmmaker. His, his litany of films are Hip Hop Beyond Beats and Rhymes, Soulful Junkies, Barack and Curtis, I Am a Man, Black Masculine in America, If Five-O Shoots, and his last film that we just spent uh, quite a bit of time talking about, hazing. And so I want to make sure that you go out and make sure that you're learning about what this brother does and take some time to really look, listen. And as we say, pass this on, pass this work on, because what brother Herc has done is that he's pushed the envelope for us. He's made us aware of, you know, who we are and how we show up and how we have legitimized processes that may not be legitimized should be legitimized. What's the internal work that we actually need to do to actually show up better for, other folks to be the armor sometimes to be the voice out loud when people for the voiceless who can't speak. And so I I want, I want to say that. I I just want to say that out loud that the work that you've been doing, bruh, you know, the litany of work is amazing. And so I want to make sure my revolutionaries are going out and watching and actually like showing and talking about this work before we end, man, we, you know, we started something new a couple of episodes ago, brother. I asked you to pick a number one through five, five, Five. That's my line. Uh, I love it. I love it. Um, so, you know, be, he, he, you know, I had to make sure because my staff is going to be like, you didn't ask him the question. I'm going to ask you the question. But what's the next iteration of your revolution?
1: Mm. Well, I'm still trying to figure that out. I, I have a lot of films left in me. Um, there are other stories that I would like to tell as a filmmaker. Uh, I would love to teach. Yeah. I would like to pass pass on what I've learned as a documentary filmmaker. And I have learned many, many lessons, Um, you know, now that I have um, gotten some experience um, completing films. Um, So I think that there's, there's a new horizon out there for me. Um, I think at the end of the day, I'm a creative person. I'm a creative and I want to be more prolific as a storyteller Mm -hmm. and put, Really powerful films out into the universe um, and to leave a legacy that outlives me. I wanna be like my mentor, Stanley Nelson. I wanna be like, you know, Sam Pollard. I wanna be like Dawn Porter and Pete Nix and uh, Yoruba Richin and uh, all of these great, talented filmmakers, Joe Brewster and Michelle. Um, uh, Michelle, 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 what's her last name? Oh my gosh. Not in Deggio <laughs> I, just like, I want to be like Joe Brewster and Michelle Stevenson. Um, you know, I want to be like, you know, my my peers, you know, who are out there who are making films and telling stories about black people, yeah. about, um, you know, black culture, really pushing the envelope and moving forward. I got you. I got you. I appreciate it. But I- you'll, you'll be able to edit that. Right. Yeah. 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 It, it,
0: exactly. I got you. Right. I got you. Here's the question that I really, really need to ask you. Byron Short, sure. award-winning, award-winning, award-winning documentary filmmaker. My brother, my brother, my dear brother, what's your revolution?
1: My revolution is redefining masculinity. Mm-hmm. So, Through my work as a as a filmmaker, as an activist, as a writer, as a thinker, my act, my, my, my revolution is to um, use all of the tools at my disposal to help redefine what it means to be a man. Mm. I love that.
0: <laughs> this is why I do this show, brother. This is exactly why I do this show. Revolutionaries, look, this show is going to be fire for you as you listen uh, and think about like how are you making the most of your revolution and how can you stand in front of folks when necessary? How can your revolution be not just for you but for someone else, and that's what Brother Hurt has been doing. I thank you for spending some time with me today. I want to thank my team Seiko and Sarah and the addition of Speedy, who takes care of everything. <laughs> uh, everything from our YouTube channel now that will be up. Uh, so, just want to thank my team for all that they do to make sure that the What's a Revolution show is is moving and growing and revolutionary in people's lives. Brother Hurt, we wish you well as you as you move forward and in your revolution and the iterations of your revolution if there's anything that we can do here to illuminate your work this platform is not just for me it is for the people that come on this show and i'm so grateful for you so grateful for our membership and our beloved organization and what we do and how we how we uplift the principles of manhood scholarship perseverance and uplift to your brother, so, absolutely. Thank you long, so much. Long,
1: live the Omega South Five Attorney Incorporated. And I, and I just want to thank you, brother, for giving me a platform, for giving me an opportunity um, to share what I've learned through the process of making the film. Um, I want to thank you for your show. I want to thank you for um, having authentic conversations with with men and with women about issues that will help us become healthier as a community. I think that's really, really important i hope that you continue to do good work i hope that your platform grows and becomes bigger um and that you reach millions of people you know with um with the messages that um that you that you like to spread so thank you so much brother i appreciate you i thank you for reaching out to me and i appreciate your support
0: uh, no worries brother and i appreciate that Gratitude, as we say gratitude to you dear brother um Revolutioners, I always want you to know that we are here for you, that we love you, and that we hope that you're answering what we think is the most thought-provoking question of your life. What's your revolution? We'll talk to you next time. Peace.
1: Long live the Omega Attorney Incorporated. Is there a better way... To to challenge people without causing harm to them? Is there a better way to make someone quote unquote good without killing them? Right? And is and can that and can that person still be a valuable contributing member to your organization who carries with them respect because they earn their way into the group of or the organization in a way that is appropriate? And I think those are the things that we still have to figure out. I think those are the things that young people are creative enough to figure out. I think we as older people have to give them the space to create new traditions that are not causing harm because a lot of times we don't respect them because they didn't go through whatever process we went through or something that looks like what we went through. And so, it's, it's, it's no different than the old football player who looks down on this the new generation of football players because... The quarterback can't get hit from the blind side. Or you can't hit the quarterback below the knee, you know, when you're sacking them because, you know, of player safety or quarterback safety. Or, you know, you, you can't hit someone above the shoulder with your helmet because it's, it's called, you know, because you're, you're, you're causing or you could create uh, some sort of head trauma. We have to let go of the old ways and make way for the new ways that are going to be safer for individuals to thrive and to be contributing members to our organizations.